our scripture from Acts chapter 9, verses 23 to 43. This morning, I thought it was an absolutely stunning scripture to pull apart and have a look at, particularly some 2,000 years later. And so, one of the most devastating feelings in the Christian life is fatalism. And that's the feeling that this is the way it's going to be forever. And nothing's going to change it. Well, that's the way I am. Or that's the way my spouse is. Or that's the way things, uh, that's the way work is. Or that's the way our church is. Or that's the way society is. It's been this way for so long, it's just not going to change. It will go on this way forever and probably get worse. And that's just that. Do you know anyone like that? Stop pointing. <laughs> However, one of the enduring messages from the book of Acts is that this is emphatically not true. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is not distant. He is not silent. He is not weak. And he is not uninterested in the world and the progress of his mission. And he is definitely not uninterested in you. Jesus is alive and what he began to do in his earthly ministry, in his earthly life, he will still continue to do. He is full of surprises in his church and in our nations and in our families and in our individual lives and in individual people. The broad, the broad persecution of the church in the book of Acts began back in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 after the death of Stephen. Acts 8, 1 and 3 says, And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. But Saul laid waste the church by entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And that's the way it was for some time. Imagine yourself in that early church with no legal protection. And all the power structures are indifferent or hostile towards you. And so you would be tempted to complain and feel fatalistic. The Romans, like Pilate, are against you. The Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, is against you. The priests are against you. And they're giving out authorised letters to have you imprisoned and killed. And that's the way it was for a long time. Nothing is changing Nothing will change. Nothing's turning around. The, the momentum is too great. The powers of evil are too entrenched. They won't be, there won't be any peace in the church for a long, long time, if ever. And that's the way we tend to be. We expect, uh, except for, uh, we accept for a few except for a few habitually faith-filled hopers among us. But that's the way we think. But that's not definitely the way we have to be, or should be, because Jesus is alive. Jesus can turn things around. He is full of surprises. He is not locked into any fatalistic pattern of continuity. He is uh, infinitely creative and infinitely resourceful. So suddenly, out of the blue, Jesus takes one of the key players in the persecution of his people and totally turns him around 
on the Damascus Road. Saul, who was breathing threats and breathing murder against Christians, doesn't drop dead. That in itself would have been big enough for a reversal of the enemy, but he gets converted to Christianity. And not just converted, but wildly converted. Beyond anybody's imagination, Saul is so converted, he totally turns around. He was one of the worst enemies of Christianity. Now he's the strongest advocate and most powerful missionary of Christianity. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, drives this home by showing the, the persecutor becoming the persecuted. First of all, in verses 23 and 25, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, tells us, after some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That means Saul, plotted to kill Saul. So the hunter has now become the hunted, and he has to escape. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And now secondly, in verse 29, it says, He spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him. The hunter becomes the hunted, and Saul escapes by taking a ship to Tarsus. And so what was the upshot of this amazing turnaround? Let's have a look in verse 31. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace, and it was built up. Nobody would have dreamed it could happen and happen so suddenly. Persecution, violence, conspiracy, suspicion, scattering. And then suddenly, out of the blue, Jesus turns it around. And that's the way Jesus is. And that's the way we should think about life. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus is the same today as he was then. He is surprising people and nations all over the world. He is alive and he is turning things around. Over the last 2,000 years, empires have collapsed. Regimes have toppled. Today, it's almost cliché to talk about the, the, about the lightning speed at which the Soviet Union fell and Christianity flooded into that region. Over 100 years ago, only 1.4% of Africans were Christians. Today, one in every four Christians alive on planet Earth, today, live in Africa. One in every four Christians. Over 100 years ago, 4% of the Asia Pacific were Christians. Today, one in every eight Christians that are alive on planet Earth live in the Asia-Pacific region. Over 100 years ago, only 27% of the Americas were Christian. Today, one in every three Christians alive on planet Earth live in the Americas. Jesus is still surprising people and nations all over the world. I have a friend and his name is Jack Harris. Jack supports the ministries of Christian pastors in Iraq and in Egypt. And he tells me that the Christian church is flourishing in the Middle East. The Christian church is flourishing. Muslims are turning to Christ in unprecedented numbers. Not only in the Middle East, but all over the world. Jesus is appearing to Muslims 
all over the world in visions and dreams. So what is God doing? And the answer is, He is doing the same thing that He did in the book of Acts. He's turning things around. He's reversing the course of human events. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 to 20 says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will thwart. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? There is a pride in the prediction of human beings. A pride based on human knowledge and calculations about human factors. There is a pride in such predictions that God does not like, even when Christians make that. It's called practical atheism. And Titus, Paul talks about this to Titus in chapter 1, verse 16. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are despicable, or detestable, sorry, and disobedient, worthless for doing anything, anything good. This kind of thinking doesn't imagine the living Lord of the universe who turns things around out of the blue. But the book of Acts was written to encourage us again and again that the Jesus who began to do and to teach on earth is now alive with omnipotent power and continues to do what he began to do and to teach where he began to teach. He is turning things around all over the world from huge political upheavals to personal periods of gloom and discouragement, he's turning things around, my friends. The point of the book of Acts, the point of the kingdom of God, the point of the Christian life is that Jesus is alive and in charge of the world. He breaks in and he changes things. Jesus does not like fatalistic attitudes. He does not like pessimistic, repeated views of history or personal life or family life. Views that say things just go in a circle. They don't go anywhere. The yo-yo of fate never comes off the string. But it does. The world is not a machine. It's a drama. And there is a live author-director and his name is Jesus. Who can and does jump on the set any time that he wants to and boggles the minds of the actors who think they know the script. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that Jesus is alive and he turns things around. And because he's alive, we can live our life with an open-ended expectancy. And so verse 31 tells us, Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Jesus turned Paul, the prosecutor, around and then he sent him away to Tarshish. And then he stopped the persecution and turned it into peace. However, during the time of peace, Jesus did not stop being the Lord of surprises. He did not stop turning things around. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, gives us two stories about the ministry of Peter to show us how Jesus was still breaking in 
out of the blue to turn things around. We see in verse 32, Peter goes to, to Lydda, northwest of Jerusalem, and finds a paralyzed man named Aeneas. And in verse 34, he says to him, what does he say? Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And, and Jesus breaks into the drama of Aeneas's life and turns everything around and heals him. Then in verse 39, Peter goes from, from, from Lydda down to Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea where a disciple named Tabitha had just died. In verse 30, Peter puts all her friends outside and kneels down at her body and prays. And so prayer this morning is the expression of our faith. That Jesus is alive and that Jesus turns things around. And with the answer to his prayer in his heart, Peter turns to the body of Tabitha and says, Tabitha, rise. And Jesus steps into the drama of Tabitha's life and turns death around and she's alive. And just like today, in Iraq, in Egypt, across the Muslim world, my friend Jack Harris says these words. He says, when God dramatically turns things around, people turn to the Lord. Verse 35 says, And the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, healed. That's what they saw. They saw Aeneas healed and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, This, this is Tabitha's return to life, became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Jesus turns things around so that people turn to him. Now, my own conviction is that Jesus is just as much alive today as in the book of Acts. And he wants to do a lot more things like that today than we are willing to, to, that we are willing to see or receive. Jesus has surprises in store for this world, for your life, for this church, that you never have dreamed. There are so many things that I could say about our plotting about our non-surprise ruts of routine religious lives. But let's stick to the text and close with verse 31. Living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. The atmosphere in which Jesus broke in and turned things around and caused many people to turn to the Lord and multiplied the church was an atmosphere of what? Godly fear and spiritual comfort. Now, they almost seem opposites, don't they? Fear and comfort. But they are not opposites this morning. The fear of the Lord is that sense of awe that the Lord God is infinitely holy and infinitely powerful and may not be trifled with. He is free to break in with unspeakable, heart-stopping suddenness and power wherever he wants and wherever he pleases. The fear of the Lord is what the disciples felt when Jesus had stilled the storm. You do not make light of such a God. You do not take his name in jest or treat him as marginable or negligible in life. He is living, he is powerful and unstoppable and infinitely holy. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. And that was the atmosphere, my friends, in the early church in which Jesus broke in with healing power and turned around sickness and even death itself. The other feature of this earthly church, so this early church, sorry, was Jesus broke in in such power that was uh, the way, it was such power that, that, that they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the best picture for us to have of the Christian life, where Jesus breaks through in power and turns things around, is a picture of flying in the eye of a hurricane. We've all seen pictures of hurricanes, haven't we, with the eye. And so the hurricane is a tropical cyclone with winds over 120 kilometres per hour. And those winds build tremendous force and they can destroy almost anything in its path. It's frightening and, and, and you cannot stand in the way of a hurricane. But by contrast, the eye of the hurricane is almost calm. There's a plane flying in the eye of the hurricane. It experiences little to no rain and is often exposed to blue sky. So when verse 31 says the church walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I picture them flying in the eye of the hurricane of divine power. It is calm and peaceful within, and there is blue skies of hope above overhead, and there is a fearsome power of wind swirling around. So what then should we do? Well, first, we should rest in the eye of his love and care. And secondly, tremble at the winds of his holy power. We should be on alert in our lives and in our church and in the world for the utterly amazing inbreaking of his might and the might of his turning around, the power of him to be able to turn things around. And so my prayer for this church and for you personally is that you will all let there be an open-ended expectancy that Jesus is going to act in our church, in our lives, that he is going to turn things around. And when he does, we will be, we will, we will be prepared to receive that increase. Can everyone say amen with me this morning? Amen, amen. amen to that. Amen.